lots of special things, unique things going on. And uh, we can handle that. We're okay with that. I kind of thought when we got past Easter, it would slow down a little bit, but it's not going to. We got a special business meeting right after the service today. Baby dedication in a few weeks and share this week and uh, baptism after that. And so many good things, and they're all wonderful parts of being part of God's family. People miss out on these things if they're not part of a local church. As we continue and get back to our talk in Acts, we're going to get a nice snapshot this morning of what made the church tick, something that's just a good picture of when the church began and something that we need to apply right to our own uh, church, our own selves as we are part of God's uh, body. Would you bow with me? We'll ask for God's wisdom and blessing. Heavenly Father, we do come to you now with a dependence upon you while we understand that you've given us eyes to see, ears to hear, emotions and backgrounds that are coming into this time, we very much so understand that it's going to be very, very fruitless if the Holy Spirit's presence is not clearly felt. And so we would ask for the teaching of the Holy Spirit. We would ask, as we have your wonderful word before us, that it would be a blessing and encouragement, that it would serve as a mirror, and that we would be closer to you be challenged. We thank you that you do allow us to grow and be challenged. No matter what stage we are at, we can always take that next step. Would you allow individuals here to see what that next step might be for them? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been around church world for very long, and some of you have been around for a long time, some of you are a little bit newer to church. If you've been around church world for very long, you'll understand that there's a certain kind of language that gets used in churches. There are word pictures that we commonly refer to that somebody who's not been in church would have no idea what that means. There are sometimes metaphors that get used. And I love that so many things that we hear throughout our world actually were based in the Bible and folks don't even know it. When they're talking about a sports competition and they say this is truly a David versus Goliath and they're talking about the word of God. There are different sayings that we have that can be challenging. I want to go ahead and get you involved. And so if you, don't, if you didn't grow up in church world, you might not know these. If you've been around the Bible for a little while, maybe you've heard some of these. So I'll ask you just to say the answer out loud if you know what kind of church language I'm talking about. Uh, maybe a fill in the blank here. The wise man built his house upon the what? Rock. All right. Some of you know that one. All right. God is the potter. We are the clay. Okay. Um, God said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. end. All right. Good. Nice job, class. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Okay. This different kind of language, it means something. It's never going to go away, by the way. We're always going to have this, no matter how culture changes or our days change, no matter what our great grandkids face, the Word of God will always be. And so they will still use these kind of pictures. One that I want to focus on just as a jumping off point for our time in the book of Acts today is this picture here. Jesus Christ is the head of the church and you and I are the body of Christ. The body of Christ. That is one that conjures up all kinds of pictures because when you think of a body... What goes on with that? Some have a, a great picture. You might have this, this uh, very well-fit body that does all kinds of things. Other people have a very different understanding of the word body. 
When Jesus says that the local church is the body of Christ, see, we say this often, but we don't use the picture very much. And when you use it to people outside of church world, they might wonder what you mean. What does that mean? You and I are the body of Christ. When I was thinking about what the body does, just the most simple task that I go through every day, just sitting and sipping some coffee, and I walk through that. What's involved with your body just doing that? Even this morning, when you're going to sip some coffee, your arm is going to reach. So imagine how the body works together, okay? That's what we're getting at, the body working together. So your arm will reach out to grab that coffee cup, and your hand will open to grab that cup or the handle. Your fingers will tighten at just the right amount. If they tighten too much, it's going to, you know, maybe break the glass if you're strong enough or make it unstable. And you retrieve it to yourself and that auto memory that knows exactly where to bring it, even when you lose vision of it or you close your eyes, you know where to bring that cup to. And your lips might, are some of you want some coffee right now? Some of you are, I know that. That's how I feel about it. I smell it, oh, and I just want to go to it. Your lips might curl a little bit and take it in, and it might be hot. Imagine the coffee is filled high in the cup, and so you have to be steady when you bring it to yourself. And then you take it in, and if you're testing the temperature, you might take it in slowly, and then the body works together to swallow it, to take it all in. Imagine this picture, all the different things that the body does just to get a sip of coffee. And of course, you could think of an illustration of doing something else and how the body has to work hand in hand, literally and figuratively sometimes. And we see this. Now connect it with the picture that God gives that you, the local church, are the body of Christ. I recently saw, um, saw, I didn't see the entire movie, but parts of the movie of Frankenstein. You're all familiar with Dr. Frankenstein, right? Dr. Frankenstein made this. He was trying to make a person. It ended up being a monster, really. Can you imagine Frankenstein's monster trying to gently take a sip of coffee to his mouth? I mean, he kind of, he's the one that did this originally, right? Walked around like a monster and couldn't quite do anything smoothly. He would grab that cup and he might crush it because his body doesn't work together like it's supposed to. He would take it to his mouth and he might spill it all over himself. Coffee bad, he might say. You can imagine that. I want to suggest to us that if there are certain practices that are not present in our local church, people outside of the church are going to hear us refer to ourselves as a body and they're not going to think of this body that is working hand in hand to do the work of our God. They're going to think of this clumsy, ridiculous looking creature that is trying to get through and do some things and they might even think to themselves, we see groups that aren't even Christian groups doing some of your main goals better than you're doing them. We're going to look at a couple things, a couple pictures of the church today that always have to be there. I did not write out a takeaway, but you can really get it from um, this question that I'm going to start with. This question is what needs to happen in the church for it to impact our community? Let me go ahead and put both things up on the board here. I think I'm going to put them both up there. And we're going to see this in this church today. So if you do want to take away, if you take notes, here's a good way to put it. Two constant motions that must be in the church 
to maintain what God wants it to be. Two constant motions that need to be in a healthy church are going to be a constant learning of God's word and a constant expression of love. We have to have this continual learning of the word of God and a continual expression of God's love. We'll see this, all that to bring us to our text in Acts, Acts chapter 20. If you're not already there, turn to Acts chapter 20 with me. And we will get a snapshot, if you will. Imagine some of you go on Facebook sometimes. Imagine going and looking at somebody's Facebook page to see what's going on in their life, all right? We can look right into a picture of what's taking place in the church at this time in Acts chapter 20. I'm going to start reading in the first verse where it says, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Now let's stop right there. We've taken a couple weeks off because of the Easter season and celebrating that wonderful event for Christians. And let me rewind a little bit. It said there in the first part of that verse, after the uproar ceased, you'll remember that the Apostle Paul um, was spending three years in Ephesus. That's a long time for him. The year is about 56 or 57 AD, and he is finishing up that ministry there. You'll remember what happened, that uproar. Remember Demetrius, the silversmith? He was kind of the leader of the uh, union of the silver um, idol makers. And he got an uproar going. He got a riot going, trying to wipe out the movement of the gospel because people were no longer buying these little idols. And so he got hit where it hurt, right in his wallet. He gets the other guys together that run these things. It's a huge business. And God uses a simple town clerk to hush that crowd and to talk some sense into them. Now, in just a few verses in in Acts chapter 20, we find... Don't miss this. We find a wide ministry, all right? Many locations over many months, maybe more than a year, and several companions that Paul had with him. He mentions Greece, and I'll only point this out because to say when he stopped in Greece for three months, Paul just casually, maybe, maybe not, wrote the book of Romans. So the book of Romans might be some of your favorite book. And if you've got three months off and you're wondering, you're just going to relax and chill out, what should you do? Maybe during those cold months. What am I going to do in these cold months when I'm shut up? Well, try writing something like the book of Romans. That was incredible, wasn't it? That's what he did when he was in Greece. I want you to keep a couple goals in mind when we think of the Apostle Paul as he goes because he's going to visit some churches he'd already been to and also he is going to um, uh, be part of preaching the gospel so it starts new places. A couple goals that he had in mind. First of all, he wanted to strengthen and encourage the churches. We're going to talk about the encouragement of the word of God. We're going to talk about how important God's word has to be to us in a couple different ways. And when the Bible tells us that he wanted to encourage the churches, it came through Bible teaching Bible instruction, but I believe with all of my heart that as the Apostle Paul taught, he is very much so using those God stories that I oftentimes tell you to watch out for. Here's what God did in this situation. Here's how God worked, and here's what God's Word says. So he's connecting real life and what was happening with God's Word. 
So Paul wants to encourage the churches and also he has this goal of everywhere he goes on this third missionary journey of taking up this collection for the believers in Jerusalem who um, were going through a difficult time. He mentions this offering in every epistle that he writes on this third missionary journey. In the second part of verse three, it probably jumped out to you that some of the Jews were wanting vengeance still. Paul very much so was an enemy to people, especially the Jews who were the established religion in many places, and they wanted vengeance. So Paul is gonna go on this boat ride and they just plan to take care of him probably in the dark of that boat ride. You know how that goes, right? They can just kind of bonk him on the head, throw him overboard as they're traveling to Syria, and no one will see him again. Well, Paul gets wind of this, and so he changes the route that he's going. He changes his course. And then in verse number four, we find some traveling companions that are listed with him. Seven companions that are listed there, and this is gonna be important for us. My heart broke even last Sunday on Resurrection Sunday as I thought of this application. Because as we see the Apostle Paul, we see that he played no favorites. And we use, that's an expression that we use, we don't play any favorites. But I want to encourage you in this way, if you're going to live this, where you are not preferring one above another, it's hard to live. Sometimes people will use this phrase. They'll say, well, those kind of people, they're, they're my kind of people. Or maybe the reverse of that, that we don't say out loud in a big group. They say, well, they're not really my kind of people. Can I suggest to you that for the believer, thinking about another follower of Jesus Christ, everybody is to be your kind of people. I'm not saying you have to be BFFs with everybody, okay? That's not what I'm getting at. But I am getting at this. You cannot exclude someone and Paul was beautiful at this. Whether someone was a slave, whether they were a free and a leader, whether someone was poor or rich, whether someone was a Jew or a Gentile, he never, never played favorites. He's a wonderful example of a Christian not treating someone else differently because of their status. When we look at verse number four, you'll see Secundus listed there. He was likely a slave. You've got to do a little bit of studying to figure that out. Paul doesn't talk about him as a slave. He doesn't say, say that he's the one carrying everybody's bags. That's not what's going on. He's part of the work of the ministry. We find Sopater there. This individual had a famous father. He had a noble heritage. He was part of this group that was doing the work. Timothy, who we're very familiar with. He was half Jew, half Gentile. And Paul treats all of these as brothers in Christ. Another application that we find from this here is Paul was never doing it by himself. The Apostle Paul never did the work by himself. Now we know the most about him and we hold Paul in the highest esteem. It's hard to imagine if, if you could pick anybody else in the world, somebody very gifted to do a work that had this kind of impact. It's hard to imagine you could find somebody that you would pick above Paul. He was so gifted. God used him in so many incredible ways. But we need to never forget the multitudes of Christian leaders, the deacons, the elders, the prayer support that was going into this incredible movement of God. 
The financial supporters, these are all parts of the church growing, the church working together. And if you would like a recipe for a short-lived success in ministry, here's what you can do. You can start it all by yourself. You can do it all by yourself. And you can let no one else have any say or authority besides yourself. That's a great way to have something that is very short-lived. And we see that. Because some individuals are extremely gifted and talented. We see that again and again. And so when someone that's very gifted starts something and they have this as their philosophy, well, it starts up and it might grow for a time. Because people are attracted to people that have certain abilities and gifts. But then you will find it will go away. It will not last. Because the individual did not spend time building the team. In 2 Timothy 2, the Apostle Paul writes this, and we see this picture of multiple folks. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Paul, what you've heard from me, what you've heard from me, pass on to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I don't get that Paul was even saying, you better make sure you mention my name when you talk about this. He's in the verse. So we talk about him. But the idea here is is that Paul trained Timothy. He's to work with faithful men and then they're gonna pass off the scene eventually. And those faithful men are to train other men, individuals that can do an incredible work of ministry. A huge part of ministry is raising up others to do the work. So we see these seven guys added in verse number four. And then this is subtle for those of you who like a challenge. Pay attention in verses five and six because somebody else joins the ministry team. See if you pick, his his name is not listed, but maybe you can guess who it is. Verse five, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. His name's not listed there, but if you're paying attention to our study in the book of Acts, and you know who's writing this book, it's Dr. Luke. Luke is writing this, and for a time he was not saying we and us, he was saying they and them. And this is the point where he gets back in this work. He's with the team again. And in verse number seven, we find the mentioning of Christians meeting on the first day of the week. And this is always interesting for us to point out. It is commonly believed that believers meet on the first day of the week because uh, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus was on Sunday. Of course, Jews would meet on the Sabbath, on Saturday. Individuals changed at some point. And yet, you saw a picture a little bit ago, if you were paying attention, of that tour guide, that Christian in Israel. And I can remember talking to him and he said, we meet on Saturdays for church, which caused some questions to go up in my mind. Mainly one question, why? Why would you meet on Saturday? So I emailed him and asked him this question. He gave a couple answers, but pretty much this was the idea. Practically, we live in a predominantly Jewish state and therefore it makes more sense to meet on Saturdays because on Sunday, everybody's back to school, everybody's back to work. So they just would make that work by meeting on Saturdays. And I don't think that is a problem. I don't need to preach to him and tell him to change what he is doing. In Acts chapter 20, these believers likely, so this that's taking place in verses 7 through 10, takes place on a Sunday night. So what do you think of a Sunday night? I'm not sure what your Sunday night looks like, but for these folks, they had likely worked all day. 
Okay, some had gone to school. These slaves, it was not a downtime for them. These slaves that were part of the church. And so keep that in mind when we look here at the next few verses. Let me mention quickly before we say it, we find the reference of the breaking of bread here. This is a reference to the ancient Palestine custom that a meal was not actually begun until the host broke bread. That's when it actually started. So yesterday I was at a birthday party for someone in my family and we were all waiting to eat and we were going to pray for the food and I snuck into the kitchen in my nonchalant way and they had some vegetables and dip sitting out and I started to dip on that when no one was looking and then somebody came up behind me and I jumped like that because I was kind of, you know, snacking out of place. We hadn't prayed for the food yet. We weren't supposed to do that. The idea behind this is um, that that Palestinian custom was the meal began when the host would break bread. Now, when you look at this, this is going to be great for us. You're going to enjoy this, I promise. When we look at verses 7 through 10, this is very likely Paul's last chance to speak to these believers. All right, pay attention. We're going to go through these verses, starting in verse number 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul still talked longer and being overcome by sleep he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead but Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms he said do not be alarmed for his life is in him one of the challenges to teaching God's word and preaching God's word one of the challenges is finding good practical applications and I know for some of you, as you read this story right here, you're going to be thinking to yourself, hey, preacher man, it seems pretty clear to me what the application is. This guy's preaching way too long, and perhaps God is talking to you, pastor. Maybe that, you know, I might read it lightly, and I might turn that around and say perhaps the application for us is to not fall asleep in church. But that's getting a little bit preachy. I know that. I understand that. Let's look at this for a little bit because Luke gives us some beautiful color to this story of this young man named Lucky. That's what the name Eutychus means. It means lucky, lucky one. That No, no kidding. That E-U prefix at the beginning, beginning of his name, that means good or fortunate. So the word eulogy, good words about someone, or euphoria, good feeling. Lucky is what his name meant. The details that we see is that Paul did preach on for a long time, and he went on. It says it more than once. He went on. It talks about the lamps that were in the room. Perhaps there was a lack of oxygen. It could have been warm, the Mediterranean heat. And it says that he gradually fell asleep. I was going to say, and all God's people said amen, but I didn't want to. I didn't. We, you know, I've got, I've got 20 stories about this. In fact, in my, in my ABF group, I've got on there, do you got any good stories about falling asleep in church? So we won't share that here. I'll share one. And it's not in church. And by the way, you're all safe. I'm not talking about any of you. Even though I really can't see you out there, just so you know. I really can't see you. Um, this was at the college where I went, and it was a little bit before my time at the college. 
where they had a practice during the chapel time, during the Bible preaching, they would have a practice of at the end of chapel, sometimes the president of the college would say, hey, ask one of the preacher boys to stand up and, and pray at the end. And so there was a guy who fell asleep on a regular basis in chapel, and this took place. And his buddy next to him, some friend, his buddy next to him had a great idea. And right in the middle of the sermon, his buddy elbowed him and woke him up. And he said, hey, hey, Dr. Cedarholm just asked you to stand up and close the service in prayer. So right in the middle of the sermon, this guy stands up and starts to pray in front of the whole group just like that. That's probably good for college. Don't do that in here, okay? <laughs> Don't do that in here. Some people have hit their heads on pews. I get that. Some folks have dropped their Bibles. Some people wake up with a snort sometimes. I understand that. Let me just say, hey, it's hard, I know. It's hard. We understand these people, some of them, they had worked all day. They were, and they were staying for a reason. I mean, the Apostle Paul's there. If I told you the Apostle Paul was coming and speaking, how many, of you, how many of you after one hour would zip up your Bibles and, you know, when you hear the alarm going off on the clock, isn't that convenient, that clock alarm going off and we tune out? If Paul was here, how many of you would stay till midnight? Yeah, me too. I'd be here for the longest time. But somebody had to be first falling asleep in church, right? So Eutychus is that guy. He falls asleep. Look in verses 11 and 12. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. And so he departed, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Yeah, I imagine they were. As we look at the description of this young man here, the, we get the idea that he's between the ages of 8 and 14 years old. And a couple of our applications that we're going to see one of them, clearly the teaching of God's word, and we're going to talk about that as we close. But also, we see that Paul had a wonderful affection for the people in the churches. There are so many different parts to church ministry. There are a lot of them. There are hundreds and hundreds and thousands of books about it. But really, when you break it down, if you want to get very, very simple, it can come down to this. You teach what is true, and people know that you love them. You can really break it down into those two categories. And Paul stops what he's doing, and he goes down the stairs, and he takes this boy in his arms. Do you think Paul had to do that? There's different things going on at this point in the church. The miracles are happening, all right? Paul, we, we just studied not too long ago. Remember those, those hankies that people were snatching? Paul's sweat rags, and people would be healed or raised from the dead by taking those? Don't you think Paul just could have walked over and dropped one of those miracle handkerchiefs down and it would have landed on him and then he could have got back to business? Maybe. He could have done that, but he doesn't. He embraces this young man. He goes down. He stops what he's doing. He has time for him. He says, stop your weeping and wailing. And in the Middle East, there was a, a death wail that would oftentimes come when someone would die. And he stops what he's doing. And they were not a little comforted. He had genuine compassion and love for them. And so if you're looking for a good application, if you're wanting to push this, when you are put in a place where you have to show love to someone and they're not your kind of person. 
They're not your kind. Instead of having the attitude or even saying out loud, well, do you want me to really tell you what I think of that person? Instead, the follower of Jesus Christ in their actions should be saying, can I tell you what I really think of Jesus Christ? What he did for that one. Do you know what I think of Jesus? This is what I think of him. And we serve those who are poor, who are slaves, who are rich, who are different than us, or who are like us. And after he raises him from the dead, he goes back and he preaches again till sunrise. He's leaving in the morning. We see that here. He's leaving. He's getting on the boat. But he wants to spend as much time as possible teaching them And we're running out of time, but there are just some applications that we want to talk about here. Paul was dedicated to the teaching of God's word. And so let me go ahead and ask you this question. And we didn't underline or bold print the word more there. And I don't want you to answer out loud. How do you feel about more Bible teaching? How do you feel about that? When I say this, I very clearly want to make it a prayer request to you. Many people grumble about another occasion for Bible teaching or Bible preaching. I've never preached till midnight. I've never done it, all right? And then he went on until morning preaching. The problem with the early church that they had wasn't how do you get them to come in. Their problem was how do you get them to go home? They couldn't get the people to leave. And for Calvary, we asked this question in the leadership around here, and I actually have it posted where I see it every day. What is our plan for personal Bible learning, for Bible instruction for our people? And the leadership needs your prayers here. This is going to get rough. Because we look at the church and what they did, and you'll hear, maybe you've heard somebody say they met daily. We've got to get back to that, right? And then we fast forward a little bit, and the church was different right after the Reformation, and they started some things that were appropriate and that were right for that church and for that time. And then we get to the American church in the 1800s and even 1900s, and this explosion of opportunities to take in God's Word. I'm not going to lay out a plan for us. I don't have the PowerPoint for that right now. But I'm telling you, you need to purpose in your heart that you are taking in God's word and you are growing in a couple different ways at least. And you need to pray for the church family here. We use that illustration of the pendulum swinging. And there was a day 30, 40 years ago where five nights a week was taken up by the church. It's a different day today, but when that pendulum swings, we have to have it land in the right place for 2017 for Calvary Bible Church with the challenge that you need to be taking in and equipping yourself with Bible instruction. We need to be careful not to have that pendulum go all the way over here and say there's only one 35, 40-minute sermon a week. And if you get that, then you're probably doing pretty good. You're not. And so we have to guard against this. And you need to pray for the leadership as we look at what we have here in our church. What does it look like? Does it look like 1900 or 1980? What's the best thing? Are we dumbing something down? How many of you have learned the lesson that you can read something and study something and you will forget it? Has anybody else learned that lesson? Holy smokes. 
You have to constantly be taking these things in. And I'm not wanting to guilt you into anything. Believe me when I say this, I don't want anybody doing anything out of guilt. I guard against that because you start doing something out of guilt, you're gonna grow bitter. You're gonna stop. You're gonna see a church down the road doing it differently and you're gonna say, I'm only doing this because somebody made me feel guilty about it. You need to have a personal conviction that this is what you want to do, constantly increasing in your understanding of the Bible. If you're taking notes, write down Psalm 1 and go read it afterwards. This picture of this tree planted by the living water. We will never exhaust what God's word has to say. And then just very quickly, verses 13 through 16, but going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he arranged intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene and sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. And the next day we touched at Samos and the day after that we went to Miletus. I told you there's a lot of places we're going here. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, at Pentecost. He wanted to be there for Pentecost. He missed the Passover, now he wants to be there for Pentecost. And if you caught that in verse 13, the whole crew goes down to the ship and back in this day, everybody would go. So the whole church would walk these wonderful folks down to the ship. Paul puts his team on the ship he preached all night. He's on this journey. He needs a break. And what does it say he does? He puts them on the ship and then he walks. We can't know for sure, but I personally think that he wanted to spend more time with those believers because he genuinely loved them. He wanted to walk with them and talk with them. All right, let's go ahead and close up here. This was really our, um, our takeaway, what you can do. I'm gonna put it all up on the screen here for us. Oh, I'm going to back up a little bit. Sorry. How can you be a part of impacting your community? How can you... Okay, so remember that picture of uh, Frankenstein's monster? Remember that? People outside, and you're saying, we are the body of Christ. And when they see your body, this one, Calvary Bible Church, what do they see? Is it something that's working well? Number one, make knowledge of God's word a priority in your life. And there's no doubt that personal study has to be a part of this. And there's no doubt that you have to constantly remind yourself of this. Constantly committing yourself to studying the scriptures. But then also be a group connection. A group connection. And I am not sad for the many things that take place outside of a local church for the individual Bible studies that are not connected with the church, for the individual charities that are not connected with the church. But I want to tell you this. If this church body working together, if we are, you're part of a small group growing in God's word, listening to what someone else has to say, learning that lesson together, this is going to make an incredible impact not only in your life but on people that are around you. And then you you cannot have the intake of God's word and this building up of the knowledge, the sponge filling up incredibly without a squeezing of that sponge. And that's going to come through showing love. You have to couple this taking in of God's word with serving in some way. You need to be doing this, an activity in your life that gives you opportunity to show genuine concern. 
I'm going to cut some of you right to the heart right here. That means some of you are going to make yourself vulnerable to somebody else. I don't like that. I don't like being vulnerable to somebody else. I like to be able to, you know, at a distance, you know, walk up to the buffet, grab what I want to take, just keep that. But if you receive a phone call from someone because you haven't showed up for a few weeks because you're part of that group, you're doing what they're doing, you're invested in them, you're working together in some kind of a project, whether it be serving in a music ministry or serving with this missions. You're all, all you that go to Sunday school classes, you're gonna have a chance to adopt a missionary and work together to pray for and encourage one of our missionaries. These different things bond us together. These are just two of the things that keep us from looking like Frankenstein's monster. These are two of the things when you drop that church talk and you say, yeah, we are the body of Christ. People outside of the body of Jesus Christ will say, that's a beautiful looking body. Look how it works. Look how it's hand in hand. Look how this one doesn't mind what this one is doing. Look how this one doesn't mind if this one gets the credit. Look how this one might even take the blame for this one. A beautiful picture, and we see that in this church And for you doubters out there, for you that are doubters to this, is it possible? Let me just give this last final closing picture. When Jesus was in this world and he was training his followers, he was training these 12, the work he had for them to do. And these guys, you remember them? Who who stands out to you of the apostles? You know, Jesus' disciples. You you got Peter, what can we say about him? Thomas, you know, I doubt anybody's going to forget Thomas, right? All these different guys, these 12, they were a train wreck. They were a train wreck about to happen when Jesus departed from them, right? Even up to the cross, they were fighting about who's going to be top general. They were a train wreck about to happen. And look at what God did because the Holy Spirit came and he worked among them. And they no longer fought about who was going to be top, but they did what God wanted them to do. And believe me when I say this, because usually when somebody says, hey, no offense, but there's some offense coming, no offense intended for anybody here. Every one of you, no matter what group you're put together with in this world, what local body, every one of those groups is going to be a train wreck without the Holy Spirit doing what he is going to do. And for those of you who are doubters, the Bible tells us the gates of hell will not prevail against what Jesus Christ started. And it is our job to figure out what that is. It is our job to walk with this faith in God and looking at that one right there and that one over there and knowing that I am my brother's and my sister's keeper. This is what makes a beautiful body to those who you're going to bring in to this church family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is no doubt that we lean on you. Oftentimes, folks will go throughout their days because they know they cannot get through even an hour without asking you for help in something. And then so many of us get so busy or, oh Lord, we are gifted. Some, some, some have incredible talent. They don't have to stop and pray for your help. And some can do that just with the mind they have.
the resources, whatever it might be. Oh God, help us to never get to that point. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Ron just to play through a little bit of a song. We talked about folks that were saved, that were followers of Jesus today. Maybe today you're not sure that you're a Christian not following Christ. Let me invite you to make today the day of your salvation, knowing that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins and you could ask forgiveness and follow him today. You might want to do that during the quiet of this time. Somebody else pray. I'm sure something touched a chord within some of you. I know for myself I was taken back. Take time to pray just a moment. If you know the words to that song he's singing, just the song, the words, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. Would you sing that with me? Sing with me.